Hello, and welcome to Finding Peace Within. I am your host, Lisa L. Dalton. This podcast was created to provide thought-provoking conversations that I hope will encourage you to find a more peaceful life through spiritual awareness. So sit back, relax, get your pen and your pad as we take this journey to finding peace within together. Coming up on today's Finding Peace Within podcast. And so we make the the resolution that I am not going to be that way. We make every effort to avoid this parental influence. But the avoidance of parental influence and identification is a sure way to become a carbon copy. Now grab your pen and your pad as we continue on this journey to finding peace within together. Hello and welcome to Finding Peace Within. I am your host, Lisa L. Dalton. Thank you for tuning in to Finding Peace Within and welcome. If this is your first time, welcome to Finding Peace Within. And as we say at my church, if you are a repeat guest, we welcome you as well. Finding Peace Within uh, was created to help you become more aware of who you are spiritually. And we do that through spiritual awareness. Today's topic is going to be good. But before we get into the topic, um, if you haven't done so already, like, subscribe, and share Finding Peace Within with your family and your friends. You've been blessed you certainly want others to be blessed as well. So now let's talk about today's topic, the myth of family and childhood. Family and childhood. Oftentimes when we think about family and childhood, um, it could bring tears to our eyes. But today we're not going to hopefully bring tears to your eyes but bring some thought and awareness um, when it comes to learning how to appreciate everything we've gone through as a child within our family. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day and we praise your name and we just honor you, oh God. We just thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for keeping us close by, Lord. We thank you for just not allowing our hearts and our souls to be tarnished with the cares and the things of this world. We ask that you be with us through this session, O oh God. Allow us to see the good, the bad, and the ugly things that have happened into, in our lives and allow us to learn to appreciate them as we grow in our own spiritual walk with you. It's through your grace and through your love and your kindness we all become new. We all become new creatures. So today, Lord, use me. I am a willing vessel. Whatever it is you have prepared for the people, you've also prepared it for me. We know that good will come out of this lesson. Even when it's painful, good is coming. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 
So when we talk about the myth of family and childhood, we first need to identify what is a family. The members of a family have a common habitat. They share the same roof and constitute um, under the same household. We live most of the time. We live by the same rules, the same guidelines that have been set out by whoever's in charge. Uh, It's about the interaction between roles such as mother, father, sons and daughters. We all have a responsibility in the family. This unit has certain common characteristics in all societies. Although the relationships between individuals, family and society, cultural and civilization varies and could be pretty complex at times. The family maintains a common culture, but may operate differently. So because we live in the same household and uh, as my grandmother would say, my grandmother would say, eating from the same table, (laughs) we all develop differently. Yes. Eating from the same table, we got the same blood, but yet we're eating, we are, we are developing differently when we talk about the family dynamics, mother, father, sisters, and brothers. But there are different types of families, such as our work family, our church family, um, families with same interest. Um, you have small group families, you have Bible study group families. You have a motorcycle club families, sorority families. So everybody that shares a common goal and working together as a unit can identify themselves as family. But there are myths um, that we develop in these families, certain things that we say about these families. I remember growing up, um, they were always say, because my father had six girls, that my daddy had a shotgun. My daddy didn't have a shotgun. If he did, I never saw it. But because he had six girls, everybody uh, thought the the myth was my daddy sat with a shotgun beside him, which was not true at all. Not true at all. And you may have your own family myth. There may be things about your family that was told about your dad or your mom. But we all have that. We all have a myth in our family and in our family dynamics. Most of what we know and understand about life has, um, we got it from our family, how we were raised and how we grew up. Everything we know has come from some type of family. Unfortunately, for some of us, uh, we just grew up where we didn't really have anyone giving us direction on what to do and how to do it. We just grew up, you know, some um, grew up, just learning how to survive, how to not starve or how not to get shot and killed or how not to be on drugs or whatever the case may be. But there are some of us that um, that did grow up with mom and dad in the household and had someone guiding us and teaching us through different parts of our lives, adolescence, you know, what do you do at five, at, at 10, at 15, at 20 or at 18 different parts of our lives, there was someone there guiding us through that. I know as a girl, a female, you know, we grow up, we, we, we grow breast and we have menstrual cycles and we start having feelings for boys. So what do you do with that? 
I know when I, <laughs> what do you do with those feelings in the church? You know, they just say, stay away from boys, stay away from girls, but they never tell us why. <laughs> you know, we, all we do is to stay away. You know, well, when you tell me to stay away, that's really saying, come on, stay, come, come, come and do more and do more. <laughs> that's what happens when you're not truthful in telling the truth. As you're raising your children, you have to sit down and talk about these things. When we grow up in environments such as these, where you were not raised, you just grew up. Most, you know, latchkey kids grow up, especially if the if the parents weren't there from sun up to sundown for whatever reason. Whatever reason, you could be the oldest child having to raise the younger ones because mom and dad was working, or if you're um, from a single parent home, most of the times. Your, your children are kind of there um, on their own. I know for me, Adrian spent a lot of time, you know, home alone, maybe about a couple of hours before I got home from work. Um, but he knew what the things that was expected. He knew he had to clean up. He knew he had, he could cook, wash clothes. I mean, those things were already established in the family as he was growing up. But regardless of how we were raised in our family, it doesn't take away from the origin of the soul and who we still is and have and has become because of the environment of, of our families. I could go to my best friend's house, Valerie, Teresa, Karen's and Penelope's. I don't care how many days or how many hours I spent over there. But the part of me that was developed, the part of my soul that was developed become Lisa Wilson resided in the Wilson household, the place where I lay my head down to sleep every night. That's how my soul developed in that environment. I want to read an insert from the book. We're still studying the book, The Care of the Soul by Thomas More. The soul prospers in an environment that is concrete, particular, and vernacular, the language spoken. Either way, one or the other will show up in any environment. It feeds on the details of life, on its varieties, its quirks, and its way of thought. Therefore, nothing is more suitable for care of the soul than family. Because the experience of family includes so much of the particulars of life. In a family, you live close to people that otherwise you may not even want to talk to. Sounds familiar? <laughs> Over time, to you get to know your siblings, your mom and your dad, the people that you live with very intimately. You learn their most Minuscule, most private habits and their characteristics. I remember um, growing up, my siblings, as you all as you all know, if you follow me, my grandmother raised me, so I wasn't in the house with my siblings all the time. But I grew up in the '60s. I was born in '63 during the time of Michael Jackson and the Jackson Fives and the ABC. It's easy as one, two, three, and the Forty Fives and the LPs. So we always had at my mom's house. 
They were always playing music, laughing, dancing, having fun. So when I would go over there to have fun, you know, spend time with them, and they would play um, Michael Jackson's ABC, and I'd be in the hallway dancing, ABC, ah, it's the easiest one, two, three. And somebody would holler out, Lisa, there goes Grandma. And I would immediately stop dancing and run up front and sit down as if I was not a part of what was going on in the back. <laughs> yeah, I was, because in my grandma's house, we couldn't dance. Grandma didn't play any secular music. We played Mahalia Jackson, Walter Hawkins, um, James Cleveland. You know, that's what we play hymns, only church music. There was no devil music in my grandma's house. But what that behavior taught me was how to lie to my grandma, how to be something that I wasn't to my grandmother because here she's thinking I'm not involving myself in dancing. Or if she saw me dancing, man, she's like, I know you're not dancing. And I'd be like, no, ma'am. But yes, I was dancing, but I wanted to have fun and be a part of my siblings life and have fun over there. But I couldn't do that because of the way my grandma raised me. I'm going to tell you, every opportunity I got to dance, I took it when she wasn't around. (laughs) But when, when, there was a pathology within the family. Um, th- those behaviors, they follow you. It's hard to break. It- it's hard to break even now today. I mean, I still don't know how to dance, but I still I praise the Lord in my dance, you know. But, you know, the whole club thing, I used to go to the club and try to dance. People were like, you don't even belong here because the pathology, the behavior of who I was and how I was brought up did not fit in that environment. <laughs> oh, Lord. When things go wrong in, in society, we immediately inquire into the condition of the family life. Every time somebody starts acting crazy, I don't care who it is, the first thing we ask, well, how were they brought up? Or what happened in their family? Why are they this way? I know, I know their mom and dad. That's one thing growing up um, in the country, everybody knew everybody. And if you were dating someone, there was like, <clears throat> well, who's their, who's their parents? Who's their dad? Who's their mom? Because we wanted to know, my parents wanted to know uh, the pathology of this person, which means the behavior and the interaction that they've had with their family, which meant that that person is going to have that same interaction with my child and that craziness or whatever it may be, uh, is going to come into my child's life and perhaps corrupt good manners because the Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. And that's so true. But many of us uh, (laughs) were raised in what's called the good golden age of family. The leave it to Cleaver days, um, the Cosby days, good times, you know, where the families all sat together, had dinner together, played games together. And a lot of us wanted that type of family environment, you know, um, the Brady Bunch. Everybody wanted to wanted that family dynamic. But we didn't all have that. There were unrealistic um, unrealistic expectations a lot of times in those environments. When we look at people with money, uh, people of stature, um, you can even talk about our president. I mean, he grew up in a millionaire's home. And oftentimes, 
you look at him and his father when they uh, when his parents were alive in the pictures he didn't look like he was all that happy but yet they had all the money in the world and oftentimes as well when you grow up in the church as a pk a preacher's kid you rebel you just go out and start doing stuff walling out because you're trying to separate yourself from your childhood and this is why adults are so often ambivalent uh, about visiting their families. You know, they don't want to come. They don't want to go home to see their siblings. They don't want to go home and see their mom and dad because of the emotions are just too high. But yet you want to have a relationship, but you would rather not go back to your childhood home because it may um, have still some bad memories, some wounds may open up as soon as you walk in the door. I know for me, I can still see right now today when I walk in my parents' house, you know, having to lay on the floor because remember, I didn't have a home there, a, a room there. So it wasn't my home. So a lot of times, most of the time, I slept on the floor on a pallet. Even when I was pregnant, I slept on the floor. No, nobody got up and gave their bed for me. But, you know, hey, I'm not mad at anybody. I slept on the floor. I can still um, see my mom and I having conversations about boys. I still see that when I go home. I still see my mom and I having conversations about me staying out late at church. I still see those conversations when I go home. I still see the conversation that my parents and I had about when I got pregnant I still see the conversation I had with my dad when I call myself being in love. And my dad's like, you ain't in love. <laughs> I think I may have been 15 years old. I still see that. I still see. I still see the weapons that I got. And the kitchen on the kitchen floor, my daddy beat me and I was calling out Jesus' name. He's like, call out the one you serve. You don't serve Jesus. You serve the devil. <laughs> I was like, I serve Jesus. I serve Jesus. I still see that when I walk in the door, but because I've done my healing, I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about any of that. I can go home and I can enjoy my family. But there was a time when I did separate myself from my family for like five years. I didn't go home. I didn't, I may call my mom and dad once or twice uh, every other month or whatever. I'm so glad God didn't take my life because, you know, the Bible says that we are supposed to honor our mothers and our fathers so that our life will be long on the earth. So I am so thankful for that because I was just in rebellion, man. I was falling out. Care of the soul doesn't require fixing the family or becoming free of it or interpreting its pathology which means we don't need to put our family under a microscope and start dissecting every member of our family and identifying what was wrong with them, which is creating um, what's wrong with us. But it's just to identify the behavior of a family member that perhaps has now become a part of, of how you're living your life or how I'm living my life. I know everything my grandmother did is now a part of my life today because that's who I lived with. I mean, everything she did and the good, the bad and the ugly became a part of my life. But what I had to do was just to celebrate the things that she did instill into me. 
And this is how we deal with the soul. We look at the pathology of our family, which then identifies the reason for our behavior and our pain. Most people want to be a part of a family where they are accepted, where they are not judged, and they are free to be themselves. However, that's not the reality for most families. Family is always there to help you grow, which means there will be times when family will point out some things about our behaviors that's not becoming. Even though it may be acceptable to you, but it doesn't serve you well. When we look at the intervention shows or even in your own life, you may have had to um, intervene on the behalf of someone. I know when I was dating, um, I was dating this guy and I was trying to get away from him. And my, my I called home. I was like, and I have five brothers. I'm like, look, y'all, y'all got to come. Y'all to come down and help me because I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And man, my brothers were down here and they were all still living in Hartsville and they were down here in about an hour, man, which means they, they, they were going fast to get down here to help their baby sister, but they were here and they helped me because I, I was um, in a situation that was not serving me anymore. It wasn't, didn't serve me in the beginning, but it wasn't serving me. I was in my early twenties. And, um, and they were there for me, man. They got on, they got, they got the trucks and they, they came ready, man. I think one of them had a gun, but they came ready. Even though we may have had some um, differences, my brothers and I, but when it, when the rubber hit that road, they were there for me. We separate ourselves from our families based on the experiences and the stories we tell ourselves. They don't love me. I'm the black sheep of the family. You know, all the stories. So I've never been the favorite. She's always loved her better. or He always spent more time with him than he did with me. And those are the stories that we create to, to, um, to make the sadness and the pain feel better. And I don't care how much, how many times you talk to yourself about things that's going on, it's best to really talk to the people that you're having those feelings toward because you're going to agree with yourself until you begin to do your spiritual work. You will agree with what you're telling yourself. We all have skeletons in our closets. Every last one of us, every family got some skeletons. Just like I share with you all, how I didn't know um, how I ended up at my grandma's house until grandma died. And my mom and my auntie told me um, how that happened. And there are still some things uh, that have come out in my family that I'm not going to share because it's not my story to tell. I always say that I'm going to tell my story, not anyone else's story. But when you begin to look into your own family, you'll see there are some things about your family. But I'm going to tell you this. There are some parts of our families, um, I don't care how we try to get away from it. They have really shaped us to be who we are. There are times you may not say, you may have said, um, I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like my dad. I'm not like them. I'm different. But there is something that we cannot separate, and that's the blood. We cannot separate the blood. 
And I'm going to read you a story out of the book about a young man named David. And this is uh, Mr. Thomas Moore sharing um, a story of a young man named David whom he counseled. A young man, David, once consulted me with the complaint that he just couldn't get along with his mother. I call him a young man because his eternal youth was most noticeable characteristics. When I first met him, he was 28 years old, but he looked about 16. He lived in an apartment by himself, but spent the weekends at home with his mother. Yet, when he was home, he always felt his mother was prying into his affairs, telling him how to live and trying to give him, get him to clean up his room. You're just like your father, she said to him regularly. She had been divorced for several years. Are you like your father, I asked. He looked surprised. My mother's the problem, he said, not my father. Well, tell me about your father anyway, I said. He'll never settle down. I see him rarely when he's passing through. He's always on the road, always with a new woman. Are you just like your father? No, I don't even have one woman in my life. Not even one? Well, my mother... He went on to tell me something I hear from the majority of my patients. I don't want to be like my father. We may have suffered the excesses of one or both of our parents. And so we make the the resolution that I am not going to be that way. We make every effort to avoid this parental influence. But the avoidance of parental influence and identification is a sure way to become a carbon copy. The return of the repressed. Usually when we make every effort not to be like our father or mother, there is some particular quality that we want to avoid having having known it too well as a son or daughter. But repression tends to make a wide swath. It's not very precise in its work or writing the personality of some unwanted quality. David tried not to be like his father. Not wanting to have any intimate relationships, he had none. Not wanting to wander around the country aimlessly, he couldn't move far from home. Not wanting to be like his father, he had little trace of fathering of any kind in his own life. Whether David liked it or not, his father's spirit was in him. And out of this spirit, he could make a life. He would no longer have to be impoverished by his negative efforts to remain untamed by the family myth. So in his revealing that he, when Dr. Thomas helped him to see, no, you, you didn't want to be like your father, but you, you became the opposite, very much like him. Even though his dad was messing around with different women, David didn't have any, which meant he didn't have a, an intimate relationship, a lasting relationship, just much like his father, but his father had a lot and he had none. 
and the fear of traveling made him stuck. And we call that arrested development, his fear of becoming someone he did not want to be stopped him from becoming. Yes. When we have a fear of becoming one person, we never identify what it is or who it is we want to be. All we know is what we don't want to be. David became his father in a repressed way. But through the talking and identifying the behaviors, he identified, I I have become my father and began to make a change in his life, began to pull away from his mother and develop relationships. Whether we like it or not, parts of our parents will always be in our spirit. We just have to decide which part of that spirit we want to be and which part that spirit you want to be present in our lives today you do have the right to pick and choose the behaviors that you want to be a part of your life you have the power to do that you can take that negative and that positive and create dynamic energy we have the power There are things about my dad that I have. There are things about my mom, characteristics about the both of them I have in me. I choose to focus on the good from the both of them. And through my spiritual awareness, when the ugly parts begin to show that behavior, I immediately stop and say, no, we're not going to do that, Lisa. Now, that's when it's okay for you to talk to yourself. When you're telling yourself, no, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to say this. I'm going to respond differently. And I know you're like, oh, man, Lisa, you're always talking about how we need to respond. That's because I see a lot of adults doing some stupid, dumb stuff, doing stuff that children do. When you begin to identify what parts of your family has created the chaos and the turmoil and the pain in your life that still remains, you can decide where you want that part to be. I'm going to get rid of this. I acknowledge that it's here and I understand it's not going to serve me anymore and I'm giving it away. And then you begin to pick up what you know serves you well. The good parts of that person that serves you well. What were our takeaways from today? I don't care where you go or how you try to run. The spirits of our families help to develop us to be who we are today. And we have a decision that we can make. What parts of that do we want to be in our lives? Today, what part of that serves us well? And if it doesn't serve you well, you have the right to get rid of it. I hope and pray this segment was helpful to you. Um, as I began to um, to really study and talk in the podcast, the Holy Spirit just began to minister to me as well. Um, some areas that I'm still um 
saying, no, I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to be that way. And that's why I do this podcast because I love sharing. I just, I love sharing the word of God. And I love sharing that part of me that wasn't so pretty. That is now a light that I bring to the world. Go and make this week beautiful. Smile, show up, and succeed every day. And remember, a centered soul is a centered mind. Lord, we just thank you. We honor your name and we we praise you, oh God. We just ask that you, you will allow our spirits just to be the light that you've given us. And those that may be heavy on today, let them know that your love covers all. Your love covers all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to the Finding Peace Within podcast with Lisa L. Dalton. You can find me on Instagram at Lisa Wilson Dalton. You can follow me on Facebook at Lisa Wilson Dalton. And follow me on Twitter at I am Lisa L. Dalton. I even have a website, findingpeacewithin.org, where you can read some of my blogs, you can find the books that I've written, and even some of the workout videos that I've created. Until next time, remember to find peace within. A centered soul is a centered mind.